0: We're here again on another Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, and we are in Joshua chapter 5. We got through the first nine verses last week, and this is Lessons from Gilgal. So this will be Lessons from Gilgal part 2, and we're going to be starting with verse 10, but how many, how many of you read... Uh, Colossians, chapter two, one through fourteen. Anybody? Okay. All right. Anybody listening to this podcast? How many read? Okay. I'm not. I'm not hearing anything. So, let's go to Colossians. Colossians chapter two. Now this will finish up uh, the first section of Joshua five that we did last week. And I didn't uh, get around to reading it, and I would like to read it today. And then we'll move right along into verse 10, 11, and 12 and talk about the next section. It's broken up in three sections in Joshua 5. It's three different points. So we're finishing up point number one, which is uh, the place where they circumcised all the people that had gone into their inheritance. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would uh, just help us to have a clear mind, to just allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, so that we can let this Word just come inside of our hearts, and to help us to do the things that you've called us to do. Father, I thank you for each and every person who um, comes out on Wednesdays to gather together and to study your word. And, Father, just thankful for you know, this being able to go out on CDs and podcasts. And, Father, I just ask that you would bless everyone who's involved for making all that happen. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So... Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full, full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. And of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk ye in him. You know, there's a, you know, we're supposed to walk after the Spirit, but as Christians, we don't always do it. The Holy Spirit's there, but again, just like Jesus knocks at the door and, and wants us to open it up for Him, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us, but, we, but He's not so overpowering. It could be. You know, the Father can do whatever He wants to do, but He chooses not to. The Holy Spirit is very powerful, could do whatever, but chooses not to. And we're, we're instructed to walk after the Spirit. We're instructed... Alright, where was I at before I interrupted myself? Six. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So you've got the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. So what we've been going over in reading Deuteronomy and now looking at Joshua, this is how you do it. Because being delivered out of... Egypt, if we apply that to our lives today, that would be us being delivered from the penalty of our sin. Well, you might be delivered from the penalty of your sin, but have you been delivered from the power of sin in your life? Because we still walk around in this fleshly body that we are supposed to say is crucified with Christ, and we're supposed to Tell ourselves when when sin comes to tempt, we're supposed to believe what the Bible says and and just look at that and go, you know what? When when the old man was still alive, he would probably do that. But the old man's dead, and dead men don't need to do that. It really won't satisfy many at all. Talking to the guys at the jail about that uh, a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, if somebody, if if you're dead. Like, if you died right now, I promise you, you wouldn't sin anymore. I said, somebody could walk up to you, like, you, you're, all right, you die, all right, die, and somebody walks up to you and just smacks you across the face, you're not going to get mad, you're not going to retaliate at all. And that's the way you're supposed to be. When you believe that you can be saved from the power of sin in your life by believing something that Jesus did for you. So, again, coming out of Egypt, that was a um, substitution. The lamb had to die at the Passover meal, and that was a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying for us. That was the substitute. We can do absolutely nothing to earn our salvation or our... uh, penalty of the sin. Jesus took all that on himself. But after that, and you get through the Red Sea, and you're walking toward your inheritance, all the things that God has promised you, are you going to get there really quick, or are you going to wander around for 40 years before you take hold of what has been told You, that it's yours to take. So am I still at seven? Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now, what happens is, now I've I've told you the truth of what the Bible says about how you have been delivered from the penalty of your sins, and now I've shown you that you can be delivered from the power of the sin that you might still do from time to time. What did you have to do to work up Success in that, victory in that. Really nothing other than walking down in through the Jordan River. God did everything. Jesus did it all. So the same miracle and the same working of Christ that separates you from the penalty of your sin also delivers you from the power of sin in your life. But we just have to believe it and walk. Walk through it. Now, this verse I just read to you, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, that's too simple. You've got to work it out. You've got to do this and this and this. You, you, here, here you go. Let's, let's put together. I hope this doesn't happen at the uh, New Year's Eve service. I hope that we don't have a recipe of you need to wake up at 5 a.m. and do your devotions you need to pray for at least 30 minutes and you need to do this and you need to do that and just make up this whole list of things that you got to do to be successful going into your new year. Because there's some some, uh, preachers who love to sound all sophisticated. They like to use big fancy words and I'm telling you, they will spoil you. You know what spoil means in the Bible? You go in and you you battle against your enemy, and when you defeat them, then you risk your life to fight. So when you've killed them off, then you go in and you take all the possessions. That is the spoil. So if you're going to be spoiled by uh, men who are all about philosophy and vain deceit, and they're after traditions of men and not after Christ, they, they like these rudiments of the world. They're not just going to get you off course. They're going to defeat you and then take everything you had. That's the spoil. All that what I have given you, what Jesus has given you, uh, out of, I've, I've given it to you out of this word. I've told you what Jesus has done for you. And you're going to let somebody come along and take all that from you. Defeat you and take all the things that you had. So you're being warned right here. <clears throat> now, it's not saying that they've taken your salvation away. But you're going to be a mess. And I've seen them. I've seen plenty of people who don't know how to move on to the next step. <clears throat> they want fire insurance, scared of going to hell. They, wanna, they want to be saved but then they don't know how to move on and live a Christian life. We, we want to live in a way that we bring honor to our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> and when we come into the church and we say that we're believers and we say we come to the church and worship and then we go back out into the world and we do things that are worldly, you know, act out worldly ways, use filthy language, get angry, uh, use road rage, there's all kinds of things that we could do. Then it's, it's just not honoring to God. And people look at you and go, you're just the same as everybody else. So why should I go down to that church house and be with you guys? Because it really hasn't done anything for you. So I see that in a lot of churches, and I'm talking going back a ways. A long, you know, going back a long ways. I've been in so many different churches throughout my life. And I have seen some crazy stuff. And then, of course, you know, going to the jail, you've got a lot of guys who are from all kinds of different denominations. The guys who sign up to come to a Bible study usually have church history. They, got, they, they have, in their past, uh, church. They, they got it. And, and they'll come in and brag about being a Baptist. Or they'll come in and brag about being a Pentecostal. And sometimes I want to say, well, how did it help you? Because, dude, you're sitting in jail. You know, oh, oh, well, I go to this spirit-filled church, and, and we, we believe in the Holy Ghost, and blah, 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 and it gives you power, and I said, to what? Because it didn't keep you from sinning. It didn't keep you out of here. All right, uh, so that's verse 8, Colossians. I thought we were in Joshua. <clears throat> Nine, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh, so I forgot to tell you, this verse 8, let's back up. When, when preachers, Bible teachers, whatever, when they come to you and say, you have to do this, this, and this, they, they give you a recipe for trying to defeat this flesh. When the Bible simply says that the old man is crucified, it doesn't say. Now, some new translations actually say being crucified. That's worldly. If you try to tame your flesh, you will spend the rest of your days trying to do it. It's not tameable. If you ask God to fix it, he'll point you to the Bible, and it says, no, I don't fix flesh, I crucify it. So you got to believe that. And then move on. Don't be a Christian who spends all their days trying to fix themselves. You're supposed to believe what you read and move on from that as well. So you're moving on from the salvation experience. You're moving on to the second phase, which a lot of religious people call the sanctifying, you know, being sanctified. And, um, it's not really accurate. The word is really not accurate, but religious people just know what that means amongst religious people. But it's that maturing, be, be, becoming more mature, and the more you read, the more the Holy Spirit convicts you, you get enlightened. So they call that that sanctification process. <clears throat> so you got your justification, sanctification, and we're working toward that glorification so don't let anybody tell you, well, Paul said, I die daily. You need to kill that flesh. You need to put, put it to death. It sounds right. It does sound right. But it's not. Paul did not say, I die daily. Read the rest of the verse. It's three words. I think it's 16 words in the verse. And any time I ever hear anybody talk about it, they just quote those three words, I die daily. Well, if you read it closely... I'm pretty sure it's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, around 30, 30, 31. And he's talking about fighting with beasts at Ephesus. He, what he's saying is, is, I put my life on the line every day to bring the gospel to you. Literally, he, it, you know, the, the Bible is full of figures of speech. When somebody says, This headache is killing me, it's really not. But they'll say that. It's a figure of speech. And when Paul says, I died daily, it doesn't mean that he actually died every day. It just means that he could have. I mean, they stoned him. And he, he fell over, and they thought he was dead. They drove him out of the city. And he got up. He was shipwrecked. Should have died. He was shipwrecked like three times. A very poisonous viper bit him. He should have dropped dead in minutes. And he didn't. <coughs> so... I die daily. No. Die once and for all. And then move on. Continue with your Christian walk. There's others out there that need you to minister to them. But we're selfish Christians when we spend all that time trying to fix ourselves. Simply believe it and then do the service. Um, You know, Joshua could sit around and say, I'm not strong enough. I, I, I wish Moses hadn't have died. Now I've got to take all these people. And that city, Jericho, is huge. What am I going to do? I'm scared. Did he do that? Was he able to conquer Jericho? Not him by himself? It was impossible. Him and his whole army couldn't do it. But that didn't stop him. All right. 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. You're complete in Jesus. Okay? Believe it. Quit trying to add to. Which is the head of all principality and power. Now here's the circumcised part. We finally got there. In whom also ye, each and every one of you, are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What part did you play in that? You just yield yourself to it. You just believe it and let Christ do this. You know The nation uh, of Israel in Joshua 5, the lessons from, from Gilgal, they all get physically circumcised. We as Christians today, you know, Paul said that will profit you nothing to go through physical circumcision to try to be closer to God or to be his chosen people. We are going to be circumcised of the heart. This flesh is what it's talking about, and he's going to circumcise the flesh and get rid of it so now we can uh, have relationship with God and live a successful, victorious Christian walk. We can walk up to our Jericho with all confidence, knowing that God has taken care of it, and all we have to do is follow the instructions, as crazy as the instructions might be. And you tell people, this is how I overcome. This is how I have victory. And you tell them what I just taught you, and they look at you like you're crazy. You know you're doing good then, when worldly people look at you like you're nuts. And then you walk in it. You follow the directions and you have victory in life. You don't do the things you used to do because you're believing what Jesus has done to you. And it's this circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. This is is Colossians chapter 2. This sounds a whole lot like Romans 6. Buried with him in baptism... Wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Notice, circumcision is an operation. Little baby boys at the hospital, they hate it. They hate that operation. And they'll let you know. Uh, Operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out. What do you think of when you see blotting out? Just think of the blood, being blotting out. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. You cannot be saved by the law, right? That's why, that's why Moses died in the wilderness. He, he went up on that mountain. Was that, was that Nebo? He went up on that mountain, and God killed him there. Uh, The angel buried him, and he couldn't take the children of Israel into the promised land because he represented the law, and he was disobedient. But one of the spiritual lessons is he represented the law. (coughs) But Joshua represents Jehovah saves Jesus. (coughs) All right, so blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. See, that law was very much against us. You try to keep it. it's not going to work out too good for you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, I've heard a few people here talk about uh, a sermon that was done here a long time ago, and that there was a cross put up, and the pastor took uh, people's like they maybe wrote down things that were in their life that they wanted to get rid of, and he would take it and nail it to the cross. And it makes for a really good illustrated sermon, and you'll remember it for a really long time. But that's not biblical. I'm sorry. As good of a sermon, I've, and I've heard of those sermons before, but Jesus nailed all of your sins to the cross. If you're trying to do that now, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. He already took care of it. <clears throat> Alright, there's 14. Uh, 1 through 14. Now back over to Joshua. <clears throat> this is verse 10. Joshua 5, verse 10. <clears throat> and the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Passover. That's a meal. Think about how important the meal was. It's all through the Bible, from the beginning all the way through the end. Think about in Revelation, I just mentioned it a little while ago, uh, Jesus knocking at the door? What's the rest of that verse? He wants to come in and sup with you and you with him. He wants to sit down and have a meal with you. Think about the two disciples walking down Emmaus Road with this guy that was telling them all kinds of stuff. The, the, the writings of Moses, all of the prophets, and he, he was just tell them about all of that stuff, and they just didn't quite see who he was until they sat down in those people's house. I think, you know, you know it mentions one of their names. Was it Cleopas? And it doesn't mention the other one. And I hear people talk about that story. to say, those two guys, those two, I think it was husband and wife. So you can be mad if you want, if you're a woman, and he didn't mention the woman's name in the Bible. But you see that a lot. The man is mentioned. You know, back in the 70s, I would hear people say uh, uh, Mrs. John Smith. They didn't even say the woman's name. They just said Mrs. because you were joined, you were one flesh, and the woman is, is part of the man, and she didn't care about being, her name being mentioned, but you, you don't have that today. And you have a lot of times where women don't even want to change their name, and they keep their name, or they'll hyphenate it. So... <clears throat> Why was I saying that? Now I can't remember. Eating. Eating. Oh, the, the, the two disciples. So Cleopas, and I think it was his wife, and they were going home. Thank you for reminding me what I was talking about. And they're sitting at the table, and they pre- have prepared a meal, and Jesus breaks the bread, and they see the nail prints, and they see that it's Jesus, and then he disappears from them. So when when uh, Peter went back to fishing, and this guy's sitting on the shore, and he's telling Peter, "You know, cast your net on the other, all that," and he's over there broiling fish, making a meal. And, and 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 we can just go all the way back through the Bible, and I can give you example after example. When the Lord Himself showed up at Abraham's tent, it was, "Hurry up, Sarah, make." Get, and he told the servant to go kill the animal, whatever it was, a calf or a goat, and then told Sarah to make the cakes, and uh, it was a meal. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eat of whatever tree you want, just not that one. Eating over and over and over. Now, here's the Passover. They obviously did not do the Passover meal in those 40 years of wandering. You don't hear anything about it other than you know they they had the Passover meal the night before they were delivered out of Egypt. The Passover lamb dying in their place, they are taken out of bondage, the penalty of sin, taken out of bondage, and (coughs) it always has to be the 14th of the first month. And that, that, so it's, it's the same day every year, Passover. Now we have Easter that uh, people will celebrate and it moves because it's based on the lunar system, the moon cycle. So every year the, the Easter will move back and forth and sometimes it's really close to Passover, sometimes it's not. I mean, it's never real far away, but some closer than others. Okay, so this Passover was a very important thing for them. I'm pretty sure when they were at Kadesh Barnea that they did do Passover. And then you had all the people who were not circumcised that were born in the wilderness. And if they weren't circumcised, they would not have been able to participate in a Passover meal. I wouldn't think. So you don't hear anything about it until now. They have walked into their inheritance and they have been circumcised and now... They are going to have this Passover meal, which is very important to the, to the Jewish nation. 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self same day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten. Of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Did they do any planting? They, they're walking into this plain of Jericho. Where are all the people who planted all this grain? Scared, Right? Their hearts are melting. They are afraid of these people. They have abandoned their harvest. They're in the walled city, wondering what's going to happen. And it looks to me like the Lord had prepared a table for his people in the presence of their enemies. So this old corn is grain that they had not planted, but they are eating it all up. It was already there for them to take. Another example of your walk, you don't do the planting, you just take it. See, did they have to go out and work up the manna that fell? Did they have to go, okay, well there's part of it over here, and let's let's get our recipe out, and we'll put this together, and we'll work this up, and then we'll bake it, and... No, it was ready to eat when it came down. They just simply walked out and picked it up and ate it. And it had everything in it that you needed. Uh, In the Bible, it says that their feet didn't swell. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you're malnourished, you have swelling. And one of the symptoms of somebody who is starving, their feet swell up. So I think that's what it means, that they had all the nutrients they needed. Because it was angel food. Evidently, angels have gardens, and they have this uh, heavenly corn that's sweeter than the corn we grow. It is awesome. I'm just guessing. Don't ask me to show you that uh, in the Bible. But it's angel food, and God rained down the manna. What was that a type of? It's a type of Jesus being the bread of life. They would have died without it. You are going to die the second death if you don't take the bread of life and eat it and drink the blood. (coughs) So Jesus himself talked about, he he showed you in the, the Gospel of John how that he was that manna. He was that harvest. It was him. So... Let's, let's read it out of, in John. I mean, I didn't mark anything. I failed to do it. I forgot. I was actually looking up Scripture on my phone, and I forgot to mark. But I, ha- I just happened to have a mark in Colossians and a mark in John because of what I preached this past Sunday. So I'm already ready. It's not in the exact right location, but it gets me really, really close. So go to um, John 6. John 6, and I'm trying to remember exactly where I wanted to start, Uh, 22, let's start at 25, this is 625, this is like one of the longest chapters in the Bible, it's crazy, Um, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. When the King James Bible says meat, it doesn't mean necessarily uh, animals. You know, uh, meat as what we would call it. Um, Which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you for him... Hath God the Father sealed? Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. All right, so they're asking, What kind of work do I need to do? And what did he say? Did he give him a long list? Did he give them a recipe for the new year? This is the work of God. It's not your work, it's God's work, that ye believe. Is any work involved in believing? None. Believe on him whom he hath sent. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showeth thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So Jesus is, is comparing himself to that manna miraculous coming down and feeding them and keeping them alive saving their lives now he's that manna the true manna the true bread of life and he has come down for those t- to eat it then said they unto him lord evermore give us this bread so they're they're looking for him to pull out some i don't know maybe some sourdough rolls or something i mean they're excited and jesus said unto them i am the bread of life he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All right, now we're going to go kind of back and forth on different beliefs, doctrinal beliefs. All right, it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Now, that's one side of the argument. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So there's, etern- there's uh, eternal security right there. For I, am, for, for I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this, listen, and this is the Father's will, which hath sent me that of All which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one, every one, which seeth the Son and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So which is it? God, only the ones he picks? and delivers to Jesus, or, and this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him. Every one. Does that mean everybody has the same chance? I don't know. I'll let you argue over it. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then <coughs> that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you do. that's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... <coughs> You can go back to the story of Abraham sending out his servant to a faraway land to go find a bride for his son Isaac. And he goes and finds Rebecca and asks her if she wants to come back and to marry somebody she's never seen. That is a type and picture of the Father sending the Holy Spirit out for us to be the bride of Christ. 45 we're in John six forty-five. it is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the father cometh unto me not that any man hath seen the father save he or except he which is of God he hath seen the father so Jesus has verily verily I say unto you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life I am that bread of life Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Wow. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Now turn over to John 12. John chapter 12. Let's look at 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. Now, what had happened in that field that they were uh, camped at? All that grain had been put in the ground. It was a seed. It was alive. It was viable. And they buried it why would you do that you should eat it well if you ate every bit of your seed then you had nothing to plant so you take a perfectly good seed and you bury it so that it dies in the ground and what happens when that dies in the ground it brings forth way more that one seed can bring forth hundreds and hundreds of seeds right Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. (coughs) So there's uh, another example of Jesus comparing Not only was he the manna that came down from heaven, but he was also that grain of wheat that had to be buried to produce all of us who were going to be born again. By his death and burial, what came from that? Resurrection and all of us being able to participate in that. Right? Pretty cool? No? Yeah? All right. so we're still not done with... uh, Joshua, you would think it was only, what, five or six verses that we had to do. So the manna is gone. They're eating in this inherited land all the, all the old corn. It's just another picture of God doing it for them. All they had to do was follow, obey him and follow along. So what what have we learned so far? The Passover lamb back in Egypt, so under the blood you're saved. And then going through the water, whether it be the Red Sea and then the Jordan, going through the water, that separates you from the world and takes you into your promised land. And right now we just read where they were around the table being fed so that's the process of what we might say being sanctified so you you want to have a salvation experience you're saved under the blood then you want to go through the water which separates you from the world so that's why it's important for us to be baptized in water fully immersed in the water and then gather around the table we have communion the bread And the juice, you see all of that in just those few verses in Joshua five. Lessons, lessons from Gilgal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to come together in this place uh, to study your word. And Father, I just pray that everyone who hears this that they will be changed, that they will be better able to move on from maybe working at themselves to try to have more victory in their life, but they will look to our Lord and Savior, Jesus, and what he's already done for us. Father, I pray that we would just walk into the plains of Jericho and eat. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.